CHUMAM Toronto is TSN 1050, an radio station. The Leafs live here. Good afternoon, I'm John Leatherby. This is TSN 1050 Sports Center update for Lowe's. Save up to 15% during the Buy More, Save More event. That's on top of sale prices. Hurry. Offer ends November 7th. See Lowe's.ca for details and exclusions. There will not be an NHL debut tonight for Maple Leafs call-up Trevor Moore from the Marlies. So far, 12 points in 10 games this AHL season. Mike Babcock saying he will be there as an extra on this road trip as it's a one-game stop heading into Pittsburgh tonight. At 12.30, TSN.ca to stream live the Argonauts press conference this afternoon as Jim Pop, the GM, along with Bill Manning, the president, talking about the firing this morning of head coach Mark Tressman. Time for TSN Hockey Analytics here on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Welcome, welcome everybody. TSN Hockey Analytics, ready to roll here on TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Get the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics, myself at AndyMC81. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes, the TSN1050.ca show page. You can also find the program there. And, of course, we'll always tweet it out from the Twitter handles. On today's show, Travis Yost from TSN.ca joins me in moments. Then Sean Tierney of The Athletic and Hockey Graphs. After that, Matt Kane, Hockey Graphs editor. And James Harding, NHL.com fantasy writer. Let's get to him first, though. Travis Yost from TSN.ca. He has delivered the past two weeks hot take after hot take on food. He told us he hates breakfast food, despises anything pumpkin. So, Travis, I just tweeted out, is brunch next, sir? No, 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 no. Brunch is good. I like brunch. brunch okay. See, the thing about brunch, the thing about brunch is like a Saturday hockey schedule. You can diversify. You can pick exactly what you want in the brunch slot. Plus, you know, I'm not wild about mimosas. I know a lot of people love the bottomless mimosas, but <laughs> bottomless Bloody Marys is oh. very ten out of ten. So uh, yeah, brunch is very high on my uh, on my scale. Finally, we agree. Okay, let's let's begin with your latest writings on TSN.ca. Earlier in the week, you took a look at how puck luck impacts the NHL standings, and you quantified puck luck as PDO, which is the combination of on-ice shooting and on-ice save percentage. For some of our listeners who might not know, can you explain some of the limitations PDO has as a stat to glance at? And finally, Travis, how does puck luck impact the standings? Sure. So, I mean, historically, how we've looked at, quote, puck luck is are our teams getting by on merely the percentages? So they either have a white-hot goalie for a few weeks and their save percentage is through the roof, or they've got a series of shooters scoring at a ridiculous clip, um, despite not really generating a lot of opportunity or chances. Uh, there are ways to quantify that, and we know it's, it's really just conversion over volume, right? So teams with very, very high shooting percentages or very, very high save percentages in smaller intervals, uh, th- those are bound to happen for every team over the course of the season. But the, when you start raising the red flag, really, is when teams are consistently getting outshot and outchanced, but winning games because either their goalie's white-hot or their shooters are white-hot. But, you know, what, one of the big limitations of PDO is that it treats every goal as equal. Hmm. Um, and, and the best way I can articulate this is 
if you think about it, let's say it's a 1-1 game in the third period and I score a second goal and I take the lead. The goal in terms of how many points it will likely create in the standings is massive, right? I went from like one-ish to very likely two right. um, in just you know one shot. Whereas, you know, if the game is 4-1 in the third period and I score the fifth goal, that almost did nothing for my win probability, right? Still a shot, still a goal, um, but just because of how the game was being played and the, time of, and the time in which that shot was taken, that goal really doesn't mean all that much. So one of the things I got really curious about was if we know historically how much on-ice save percentage and on-ice shooting percentage can drive win probability and points accumulated in the standings, we can actually look at and see which teams have truly been the luckiest or unluckiest based on the way they generate shots, the way they score goals in the offensive zone, and the way they stop pucks in the defensive third. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, de- it's a definite enhancement because it's being uh, it's cognizant now with game state, um, you know, score state, you know, wh- how, much, how many marginal points each shot or each goal would have uh, incurred for a given team. And uh, not surprisingly, uh, Carolina – and uh, in, in Anaheim, we're at the two ends of the spectrum, which I, I think is fascinating. Um, you know, Anaheim, it, it's, it's actually, I think, the most interesting story. You know, the, the Ducks have looked horrible all year long, but they've kind of stayed afloat in the standings. What, what's incredible about the Ducks, though, is they have been so mercilessly outshot every single game, <laughs> yet their shooting and save percentages are so high. We actually would expect Anaheim to have more points in the standings than what they do wow. because they were shooting the puck and stopping the puck more specifically uh, at such a ridiculous rate. But they were so comically outshot on every single night that, you know, even a team like Anaheim, who you think has tremendous puck luck to start the year, probably should have accumulated about four more points in the standings based on what they did over the first 12 games alone. Just because they were, they were white hot, you know, in terms of the percentages on both sides. And it's, it hasn't, they haven't realized those points. And now you're starting to look back and say, Okay, what happens when the wheels come off? Well, I think we've seen that in the last four or five games. The Ducks look terrible. They're not getting the same type of stop rates from John Gibson, who's still fantastic, but he's obviously not a 94% goalie. And now, you know, the heat, the, the heat is on in Anaheim now. Well, yeah, and as of Saturday, they've lost seven in a row. And Travis, to your point, if they had those four extra points, they'd be tied for second in the Pacific. How crazy is Correct. that? Whew. Correct. That, that, and that division is... An unadulterated mess. Yes. I, I, you know, I, I tweeted this out a, a few days ago, but I'm so curious what's going to happen with that division because, you know, Edmonton's playing a little bit better than I think people envisioned. Mm. Uh, San Jose and Vegas look really good, but the points are just not there. They, you know, Vegas cannot buy a goal in the offensive zone, and San Jose keeps losing games in overtime or losing by one goal, and they're very close games, and they look like the better team those nights, but they're not getting the points right now. And it's really opened up the doors for some early season developments like, hey, Vancouver, uh, who is a, you know, who is locked, you know, earmarked for a bottom five finish. Yeah. Here. The Canucks are pretty competitive. I, I have to give them credit. And the Coyotes a little bit, too. Um, and, and Calgary's still toiling around. So that I, I'm actually I think that's the most interesting division in the league because I don't know who's good or bad. <laughs> there's, there's, there's seven, eight teams, you know, in each division, and I don't know a single thing about the Pacific because every night I watch a team, they either look terrible or they look great, depending on the night. Yeah, I did not see a nine six and zero start to the Vancouver Canucks coming. So, uh, yeah, well, it'll be very interesting to track. Now, Travis, your other piece up on TSN.ca details some of the big name blue liners who are having their minutes played adjusted. So, do you feel we're in a bit of a, a renaissance, a change in how coaches are choosing to deploy their blue liners, and are we fading away from that top pair of defenders that chew up big time minutes every night? 
Yeah, I think we are. Now, you know, it, this isn't this isn't binary, right? Like, so if you're the LA Kings and your team is terrible and the Kings are terrible, you you, you don't really have much of a choice. You're going to have to overburden Drew Daddy every single night. But generally speaking, we are seeing a pretty substantial downgaging around around two minutes or so, which effectively is two to three shifts just at five and five on five um, for for some of the big name defenders. Uh, some of the biggest impacted. Eric Carlson and Brent Burns, that, that kind of makes sense because they're smoothing one another out, so they've seen big reductions in minutes. Uh, but Tyson Barry as well uh, has also seen a pretty sharp uh, reduction in minutes. Alex Pietrangelo has seen a pretty sharp reduction. So they, there are a bunch of names around. The, Victor Hedman was a big one. I think it's three and a half minutes year over year. Um, there are a lot of big-name guys who teams are really trying to, I think, bubble wrap a little bit more to have them fresher for the playoffs. And I think Victor Hedman is probably the best example of that, right? So, you know, they bring in Ryan McDonough, and Ryan McDonough is a fine defender, but he's no Victor Hedman. But if you look at Victor Hedman's usage, he's not even being – I I believe he's third or fourth in usage of defensemen on Hmm. Tampa Bay's roster, which seems insane. The guy literally just won a Norris Trophy. But, you know, I I think the team is is seeing a couple of layers of strategy there. One, they can use him at special teams a little bit more. Um, two, they can allocate some uh, some additional penalty kill minutes to guys like Ryan McDonough and Dan Girardi. And three, most importantly, they want to keep Victor Hedman fresh for the playoffs, right? Tampa Bay, uh, as it stands today, is probably, if you had to put odds on it, probably the favorites who emerge out of the Eastern Conference. I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. We've seen a similar trend maybe three, four years ago start in the NBA where teams are getting very protective of minutes to their star players. Um, and, and, you know, one of the, one of the really interesting thing that I, that I found during this, so I started writing a piece about how some coaches are getting very protective of minutes for their top guys. The other fascinating thing, and we've talked about this before, but it is really noticeable this year, how many young defenders are getting top-pairing minutes? And I mean young, young guys um, that, you know, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, where, you know, you barely recognize that the guy had joined the NHL maybe but a year ago. <laughs> And he's already being used as the most or second most defender in the entire league. So, you know, we're, we're seeing two different kind of shifts here at the same exact time. The latter is more of a, I think, a long-term phenomena in the NHL and in more, more sports leagues in general where teams are getting wise about playing younger players more. Um, but it actually also helps when you've got a, a veteran guy who's also your best defender. You play the young guy more, he's got the legs for it, and you, you protect the, the veteran for uh, later in the season. In conversation with Travis Yost of TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. And on Twitter, Travis, uh, I want you to answer your own poll question here. You posed it to your Twitter followers earlier in the week. You asked how many of these teams will make the playoffs. You offered up San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas as your options. How would you vote on your own poll? Oh, so this is, I, it was a loaded question for them. I, I didn't know the answer. That's why I had to <laughs> Here's the tricky part, right? Like, San Jose looks great. Um, but they have average, you know, placement in the standings. Vegas looks solid, and they have had a poor start to the year. St. Louis looks solid, and they have had a disastrous start to the year. I think, I think the answer is two out of three, but it could be as low as one. And the reason why I say two is, you know, St. Louis, I think is the has has the lowest probability of the three teams to make the playoffs because of how good that central division is yeah um outside of dallas who i you know i, I think dallas is tremendously overrated i i've never really particularly been sure what the hype has been dallas in the last two years they're a one-line team you will not survive in the central and maybe chicago if they bounce you know fall back a little bit which i would expect but outside of maybe those couple of teams it's hard to see how st louis 
uh, unless they get white hot down the end of the season, I, I just don't know how they're going to be, uh, you know, Trump ahead of a team like Winnipeg uh, or a team like Nashville. I, I just think they are kind of fighting uphill, whereas San Jose and Vegas, although they have dusted off a tremendous number of points, I'm, I'm still not sure if there's any one great team in that division right now. And, and maybe we recalibrate on how good we think San Jose and or Vegas are. But at the end of the day, three teams per division get in, period, end of discussion. And that's not even including the potential wild card bursts. And, you know, even if you're high on Edmonton, maybe you're, maybe you're bullish on Vancouver, maybe stealing a spot. There are still going to be one or two spots up for grabs in that division. And there, there are just no superpowers. You would expect over time uh, San Jose will probably figure it out. I think San Jose is probably the safest bet of the three. Um, if Vegas is the tricky one. You know, another game tonight against Carolina should be an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can kind of resurrect things, they have been beaten up pretty bad by injuries and no shooting puck luck. Um, but I, I still think they have a better than 50% chance. But, it, you know, the, the clock's starting to tick on Vegas, too. So I, I would go two of three. But if, any, if I had to change it from two or three, I would go down, not up. As the old saying goes, it's getting late early for the Vegas Golden Knights. It is. Travis, thank you so much as always, buddy. Talk to you next week. All right. Take care, Andy. All right. There he goes. Travis Yost. Must follow on Twitter. Hockey takes, food takes, whatever you want. Football, too. At Travis Yost on Twitter. We'll step aside. After the break, we go. This guy's busy. He's all over the place. The Athletic from HockeyGraphs.com. Sean Tierney stops by. You're listening on TSN 1050 Toronto. Why is getting a 2018 Ford F-150 the smart choice? For starters, it wins with best-in-class towing, payload, and fuel efficiency. Plus, it's part of Canada's best-selling line of trucks for 52 years. Need more reasons? How about the Ford Smart Choice event? Get 0% purchase financing for 72 months, plus over $6,000 in total value on select new 2018 F-150 models. But hurry, it all ends November 30th. Visit your local Ford store or Ford.ca for details. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. We're rolling along here on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Andy McNamara with you. Get me on Twitter at AndyMC81. The show at TSN Analytics. Find us on iTunes, subscribe to us there, and the show page on tsn1050.ca. We're all over the place. You can find us. Don't worry about it. If you miss any of the show or any past episodes, you can get us there, and we'll tweet everything out on Twitter as well. Welcoming back to the program, it is Sean Tierney from The Athletic, from Hockey Grass. He is just about everywhere. Sean, how's it going, bud? Doing really well. How are you? I'm doing good. And listen, scrolling through your Twitter account, I found a great line. You tweeted, quote, Buffalo is actually dot, dot, dot. All right. I've not typed that since I started following advanced stats. End quote. What is it about the Sabres this year that has actually allowed them to put some of the pieces together unlike in past years? Yeah, I mean, it's been wild to be a Sabres fan since about maybe 2014 or so. And that was kind of when uh, there was a bit of a stats explosion on hockey Twitter and elsewhere, too. Uh, and back then, Buffalo was about as bad a team as possible. They were super in the tank. They posted some numbers that don't even chart if you you know use normal axes anymore. They were just way, way, way out. Uh, and this year, it's not the case anymore. It's really strange to see them as kind of an average team, sort of middle of the pack. One big thing that they're doing better and they're doing well uh, is that they've embraced a dull 
pace of play overall, but they're controlling the shot share at five on five. They're just a little bit ahead. They generate a little bit more than they allow, but they're in that uh, dull zone. Finally, they've kind of tightened things up. Um, you know, as a system for a team like this, it can work. Um, a second thing that's really been a big difference for them is they have average goaltending. It's been a number of years since that's been the case for them. So far, so good. Again, it's not a strength, but uh, their goaltending, their save percentages, you know, just a slight plus over the league average. Um, Hutton has been just uh, a little bit below an average starter, but pretty close to being basically a Ben Bishop type of average person in net for them. And so, you know, just getting that average goaltending really solves a lot of the issues that they've had in the past. The final thing I would say that seems to be maybe the biggest difference for the Sabres so far this year is they actually have legit top-end talent. So, you know, Eichel was always going to be a big name, but Jeff Skinner has fit in uh, beautifully. He's uh, scoring well. He's uh, generating lots of expected goals, too, so it's legit. Palmerville's had some really strong contributions. Dolan looks like he's, you know, for real going to be that number one type of defenseman. They robbed the Penguins of Sheary in the summer. Reinhardt looks good. And you know, it's been a long time since so it's been a list of names that long that are, you know, really decent above average NHLers. And so, you know, for the Sabres, it's finally, uh, you know, you can let go of uh, that tension. They look like a team that might be average this year. And that's a big, big improvement over where they've been. Oh, yeah. Average is, is a plus for sure for Sabres fans. So, Sean, let's go from the surprisingly good in Buffalo to the surprisingly bad, the Anaheim Ducks talked about with Travis Yost a little bit in the last segment, but I'll grant you it's it's not surprising to say that the Ducks aren't doing so well this year, but Sean, can you help explain to us why Anaheim is so much worse than anyone could have thought right now? It's strange. It almost defies logic just how bad they've been. I, I don't think anyone went into the season thinking the Anaheim Ducks were a cup contender by any means, but they've not been almost NHL caliber in some respects, and I, just how bad they've been is a bit of a surprise. They've been completely destroyed in terms of shot share uh, all season long. So, you know, they're giving up. Uh, they're generating for themselves about 42 shots per 60, very, very low, one of the worst rates in the league. And they're giving up almost 60 shots per 60 at even strength. You know, that gap is just it's phenomenal and it's awful. They're one of the highest-paced teams in the league, but it's because other teams are coming into their rink and just destroying them. Their shot share right now is at about a minus 17 per 60 minutes and just, you know, boggles the mind. Um, another thing that's sort of strange with them, uh, Randy Carlisle, you know, he's infamous maybe in Toronto still yeah, yeah. for the kind of effect he can have on a team. Um, he's had his lines in a complete blender so far this season. And so he's got no lines over 50 minutes of time on ice together. By this point in the season, the sort of top line to be like a Tavares kind of line or a Shifley line in Winnipeg, these lines are over 100 minutes with their most common line mates. In Anaheim, we don't have any lines that are over 50 minutes together. So it kind of speaks maybe to the disarray going on throughout the lineup. They're not really sure what depth they have at forward, especially. They're juggling things around, trying to find something that can stick, and you know nothing has stuck at all so far. The one thing that's kept them afloat, and it's you know just been phenomenal to watch, is John Gibson. He's been the top starter in the league. Um, we've talked about this before too. He's saving almost two goals uh, per sixty at five on five, above what an average goaltender would do. And you know, it's just wild. It's not a number that I think you can sustain over a season. It's just too too good. But it's been good enough that you know he's dragged Anaheim into quasi-relevance in the NHL when they have absolutely no business being anywhere but 31st in the league. 
Wow. In conversation with Sean Tierney of The Athletic Toronto, Athletic Chicago, HockeyGraphs.com, on Twitter, at Charting Hockey. And Sean, one of the many great charts, and for, for any of you, Sean just breaks down these charts. It's such valuable information, at Charting Hockey. Uh, but one of the many great charts you tweet out on a daily basis is the 5-on-5 five five shot share chart. I have to say that slowly, which as you describe is a look at which teams are chasing the puck and which teams own the five-on-five shot share. So as of yesterday, the top three teams in this category are the Hurricanes, Sharks, and Golden Knights. Both Carolina and San Jose have positive goal differentials as of Friday, but Vegas' goal differential is negative nine, second worst in the Western Conference. Can you tell us a little bit about this? It's been a very funny um, reversal for a team that really rode luck and was everybody's sort of uh, logic-defying darling last season, and it's kind of come crashing down in that way. They deserve a better fate. As you said, they're, they're right up there with uh, Carolina and San Jose in terms of controlling the puck when they're out there five-on-five. Five. They're doing the right things, controlling the puck, but they've been sunk by an absolutely abysmal uh, shooting percentage so far. That's really the only mark against them. They're just not converting on those chances. One graph that I like to throw out there uh I updated daily is a team-wide view of expected goals and the goals that players have actually scored, and then you add it up for a team. And so you see things like Colorado, Pittsburgh, Washington. They've got way more goals in all situations uh, across their roster than they deserve to have. They're the leaders in overperforming expectation. Vegas falls to second last on that list. They've got you know the majority of the roster well below what their expected goals should be or what their expected goals is. Uh, And it's just a function of that random sort of lucky shooting luck that isn't going their way. Only Carolina has been worse so far in converting the good chances that they generate. So over the course of a season, shooting percentage is the kind of thing that comes back to the middle. It regresses. Lucky teams come back to average. And teams that are getting just dumped by luck, they regress back towards the average too. For me, if Vegas continues to have positive numbers across the board like they do, this isn't something that's going to last for them. That goal differential is going to uh, improve, and it'll be a team that as we get into the second half, they'll look more like a a playoff seed and a playoff contender again. All the numbers under the hood are, are positive except for you know that shooting percentage, and that's one of the more fluky stats we can have. Sean, great stuff as always, buddy. Let's do it again real soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, Sean Tierney. From Hockey Graphs, from The Athletic, we'll be alternating with Sean and Gus Katsaros every other week here on TSN Hockey Analytics for great content. And make sure, again, you follow him on Twitter at Charting Hockey. Every day the guy puts out phenomenal graphs. Great, great stuff. Uh, We will take the break. After that, it'll be Matt Kane, Hockey Graphs editor. Get into it more here on TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. We continue on here, TSN Hockey Analytics, TSN 1050 Toronto. I'm Andy McNamara. Get the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81, Instagram too at AndyMC Sports. Get the show on iTunes. The show page on tsn1050.ca. We're everywhere you can find us if you missed any of this show or want to go back and listen to any past shows. Let's welcome in editor of HockeyGraphs.com, Matt Kane, to the program. Matt, how's it going, man? 
Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Listen, I, I want to start in an area that seems to have been a, a surprising topic early on in this season, and that's pulling the goalie for an extra attacker. A couple weeks back, we spoke with our own Travis Yost. He helped us understand why analytics indicate pulling your goalie early is beneficial when down by a goal. But one of your latest pieces on hockey graphs takes us in a unique direction on this topic, and that's pulling your goalie while you're on the power play. Can you explain some of your findings that you discovered while working on this piece? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, th- what I looked at in this piece is really very much in line with a lot of the earlier work that, that Travis was talking about. Um, really just about the uh, added value of pushing for a goal when you're down. You don't have a ton to lose if you're down by one or two goals. And because of the way the NHL's point system works with the loser point, there's really a lot of uh, incentive to push to try to tie the game up. Um, and so when you look at the power play, uh, one of the things is at six, uh, at six on four, when you have your goalie pulled, your goal scoring rate is almost twice as high um, as it is at five before. And so you're obviously giving up a little bit on the defensive side of things, the um, goals against rate, the rate that uh, the team can just throw the puck down the ice and have it hit the net is about eight times higher. But because of the kind of imbalance in incentives there, the math actually works out that in certain situations, you're better off um, having your goalie pulled at 64 and you end up uh, expecting to earn more standings points at the end. So if you're uh, down by two goals, really any time in the third period, you could make an argument for pulling your goalie when you have the power play. If you're down uh, by one goal, it's a little bit different because um, there's a lot better chance that you'll come back and tie the game anyways. Uh, and so if you're on the road, it's any time after the 15-minute the mark. And if you're at home, I found that really any time after the 10-minute mark, um, it's probably a positive move to pull your goalie on the power play. Matt, do you think this could become a trend? Because, like, the pulling the goal early, late, like, you know, two minutes or something late, has started to become a bit more of a trend. Do you see this power play angle becoming a trend? Uh, I think it might be a really tough sell for coaches. I think that, you know, you'd really have to have someone who's willing to sit out in the uh, the press conference after and, and answer those questions about hmm. uh, why he blew his team's chances uh, <laughs> to, to come back and tie the game by pulling the goalie with 15 minutes left. Um, but ultimately, I think that teams are, teams are becoming a bit more progressive. They're definitely looking for those extra edges that, uh, that they can find at you know, any given place. And so it may not happen soon. It may not happen consistently. But I, I, I'd like to think that someone will eventually say it's, uh, it's worth a shot. Matt, earlier on this week, the NHL announced a partnership with MGM Resorts International. Essentially, what this means is that the NHL will exclusively provide MGM with data for use in gambling where legal in the United States. Now, this doesn't mean much for the Canadian hockey fan at the moment, but in a very broad sense, what does a partnership like this mean for the analytics community? Could this be a breakthrough moment in the kind of data we'll be able to consume with things like player and puck tracking being introduced? Yeah, I think the the really exciting part of this is that this data will be available somehow, that uh, the league or that teams will have access to it. And even if it's not immediate, even if it is uh, exclusively available to MGM or to, to teams or personnel in the league office, that data is there. And I think, you know, as you start to see it used uh, within front offices or even um, 
you know, in the future, looking at from the media side of things, there will be a greater demand for the public. And I think the league will eventually have to find a way to uh, to make it available. It's obviously not going to be, you know, a whole bunch of raw data dumped onto uh, onto everyone's laptop uh, come come the start of the 2019 season. Uh, but I think they'll they'll probably look for ways that we'll start to see more data in the play by play that will really open up a lot of new, exciting uh, avenues for, for amateur analysts like myself. In conversation with Matt Kane, editor at HockeyGraphs.com, on Twitter at Kane underscore Matt. Now, Matt, a unique projection you've worked a lot on in the summer is your projection of what kind of contracts free agents will receive in regards to both term and dollar amount. Now, free agency isn't always as easy as it seems, as William Nylander has proven. But, Matt, what, in your mind, is the likeliest conclusion to the Nylander saga? Yeah, the, the Nylander saga has been interesting. Number one, I've kind of been wanting to close out my projections, so I'm really, I'm really waiting on him to, uh, <laughs> to let me get my final accuracy. Come on, William. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's about me. Um, I, I think that they, they get a long-term deal done. I think that there's a lot of risk, um, on the lease side at least, uh, that if you push it to – if you get a one-year deal and push it to this summer – or if you, you know, sign a bridge deal and push it, you're really just going to be bumping into the Mitch Marner contract to possibly Jake Gardner's contract. Um, for Nylander, there's obviously, I don't think, a lot of, um, a lot of incentive to, to sit out a full season, um, even if um, he does get you know, a, a nice deal to play in Europe somewhere. I don't think there's a, um, a, a ton of incentive for him to push back free agency a year. I had him projected at, um, you know, on a long-term deal around $7 million. I think given where the Leafs cap situation is and given everything that they kind of have to work out over the next, uh, the next uh, year or two, there might be an incentive for them to play hardball and it might come in a little lower than that. Um, but I, I, I really predict that, uh, that he'll end up getting a long-term deal done and that, that they'll uh, move on to the, the Mitch Mardner and the Jake Gardner contracts after this. Well, one person who won't have to worry about a contract negotiation for the next few years is Yanni Gord of the Lightning. Tampa Bay signing him to a six-year, $31 million contract extension. What are your thoughts on this deal, Matt? Because he's really only served one full season with the Lightning. Yeah, I don't hate the deal. Uh, I, I ran it through my model yesterday, and, and on a six-year deal, it was about the uh, about the amount that I predict, maybe a little higher than uh, than what my model thought he would get. Um, in terms of term, though, it was a lot longer. I don't think for a guy who has the one full season, committing to him for six years, particularly at age 26, is definitely a huge risk. If he is kind of the player that they, they obviously think he is, then maybe it looks like a good deal. But the Lightning have, you know, a lot of um, a lot of issues coming up with how they're going to keep that kind of core of their roster together and to me, committing six years to 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 a twenty six of his uh, the aging curve are, are already on the downward slope. Uh, kind of feels like putting a, a lot of eggs in one basket when you've got bigger problems to uh, to deal with coming up. In conversation with Matt Kane, editor of HockeyGraphs.com, on Twitter at Kane underscore Matt. Okay, Matt, let's get. Back to the Maple Leafs for a bit here. What do you make of all the coverage on their home ice struggles? Could this, could this be chalked up to typical Toronto media looking for something to pick on, as we, you know, we tend to do? Or is there data that suggests that the Leafs play really takes a dip when they're at the Scotiabank Arena? 
I, I think it's kind of hard to say after eight games. They're, they're three and five now, I think, uh, at home. And I think, you know, if they'd started the season overall three and five at home and on the road, no one would be necessarily panicking. So I, I'm not super inclined to say that there's, uh, you know, a lot of signal there indicating that they're, they're uh, doing something wrong at home or that, uh, that they, they're unable to play under the, the Toronto media spotlights. I, I did look at their um, their even strength numbers and their power play numbers. Their expected goals rates are pretty consistent, both uh, both at home and away. Uh, so I, I'm more inclined to say that you know they haven't been getting a bounce or two um, going their way. Their numbers look good. They look like a team that, particularly with the the kind of finishing talent that they have. Um, should be scoring more goals and should be um, winning more games probably at home than they have. And, you know, sometimes you just don't really get those bounces over an eight-game stretch and, and they, they end up uh, evening out over the, the rest of the year. And last one for you here, Matt. I think one of the teams that's been asked about so far the most on Season 5 here on TSN Hockey Analytics, surprisingly, has been the Carolina Hurricanes. What do you feel has allowed them to find so much success early on in this season? And how far can young, the young stars go and, and take this team, really? Yeah, I, I really love the Hurricanes because, like, to me, it looks like they, they've been a great Corsi team for years and have just never seen the results. And, you know, there's obviously be a lot of pressure, I think, in, in a lot of front offices to kind of blow that up and say we got to take a different approach. But it really feels like they've, they've doubled down on that. We're going to we're going to outshoot them two to one every night. And, you know, they're getting a bit better goaltending now. I think getting rid of um, Cam Ward, who, you know, hasn't been the uh, Stanley Cup winning Cam Ward for a very long time, uh, definitely helped. I think that goaltending is still kind of the big question mark for them. Um, Peter Mrazek, I think, was a, was a decent risk for them to take. I think they're kind of young enough where if they get a few bounces where, where pucks don't go in against them, they could definitely uh, make a good run. Um, but they're also in a position where their, their window is really just starting to open up. And so, you know, if they don't get A-plus goaltending, it's not the end of the world for them. They, they'll still be, I think, an exciting team to watch. And, you know, when they're, when they're putting 45 shots on goal every night, it's, uh, it's always going to be good hockey at least. Matt, great stuff, buddy. Thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Matt Kane, Hockey Graphs editor. You can follow him on Twitter at Kane underscore Matt. We'll wrap up the show next with some NHL fantasy talk. NHL.com fantasy writer James Harding stops by to wrap up TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050. Get the meaning behind the numbers and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics. Already, time just flies by in this show. Here on TSN 1050 Toronto, I'm Andy McNamara. Follow the show on Twitter at TSN Analytics. Myself at AndyMC81. You can subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can find us there. iHeartRadio app, the TSN1050.ca show page. We're all over the place. If you missed any of the content today from Travis Yost, Sean Tierney, or Matt Kane, let's get into some NHL 
Fantasy Talk here. It is James Harding from NHL.com, and he is brought to you by Three Brewers Microbrewery Restaurants. Perfect spot for your holiday or family celebration. Office holiday spot you can book now. Birthdays, get-togethers, whatever. Three Brewers, they're all across the GTA. Check it out. Great beer, great food, great times, and we're going to get some great fantasy hockey advice right now. James Harding. James, how's it going, bud? I tell you, Andy, if I was any better, I'd be Elias Pettersson right now. Yeah, <laughs> that a boy. Hey, you've been pumping him for a couple weeks on the show too. I have been. I, you know, I mean, what what can I say when you look at, uh, you know, the the pedigree that he had coming in to this season, and especially just what he's done, fifteen points uh, through nine games right now, just incredible. And to make us feel older than we already feel, Andy, just want to point out again. He's still 19 years oh. old for another nine days. Wow. That does make me feel terrible, James. Thank you for that. But you've, You're you've, welcome, buddy. It's what I'm here for. <laughs> you've been on him early. Let's see what else we got in. Stock up. Stock down. All right, James. Give me two stock up, and you can get, kind of pick your poison here if you want it for league play and or daily fantasy contests on DraftKings. What do you got? Yeah, and I think... Both of my stock-up guys are, are players that should be targeted in both league formats and in DFS uh, formats for, for your lineups because uh, they're both widely available in a lot of league formats and moderately priced in DFS formats. So the first one this weekend, Dominic Simone from the Penguins right now, uh, forward skating on the first line there with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. So immediately right there, the exposure to Sidney Crosby makes him worth taking a flyer on uh, in, in DFS categories uh, for sure. And then when you factor in that he has a five-game point streak right now, two goals, four assists, 11 shots on goal. He's only 8% owned in Yahoo Fantasy Leagues right now. He's dual eligible as both a center and left wing in season-long formats. Uh, and he gets decent category coverage uh, two power play, excuse me, one power play point and six hits in that five-game point streak as well, uh, skating on the second power play unit there with Gensel, Daniel Sprong, Ole Mata, and Jack Johnson. So uh, Simone with the exposure to Sidney Crosby at even strength and getting power play usage on, a, on an underrated second power play unit uh, in, in Pittsburgh gets overshadowed a little bit by the fact that you have guys like Kessel, Crosby, and Malkin, all with Chris Letang on the first power play unit there. Uh, I like Dominic Simone. And then my second stock up for the week uh, is Josh Bailey from the Islanders. Scored a goal and had a shootout winner against the Penguins with three shots on goal on Thursday. Has a seven-game point streak right now, two goals, seven assists, three power play points in that span. Not shooting the puck a lot, only eight shots on goal right now. Um, but he is skating with Brock Nelson and Anders Lee on the Islanders' top line right there. Both of them have points in five of their last six games. So I look at Bailey, who's only 41% owned in Yahoo leagues as well. So, again, another moderately owned guy uh, who is available in the majority of leagues in Yahoo and who is moderately priced in, in DFS contests on a good line right there, skating with a, a very, very hot Brock Nelson and Anders Lee. So Simone and Josh Bailey, I think are guys who can really help you in both 
DFS and season-long formats right now. Okay, James, you haven't let me down yet. I'm marking those down. Just pop into my DraftKings lineup. Okay, stock up. Two guys I should be avoiding. Stock down. Yeah, first guy to avoid tonight uh, or this weekend for stock down. He plays tonight against the New York Islanders, and that's Keith Kincaid, the starting goaltender uh, for the New Jersey Devils. We were talking about him a few weeks ago, had the hot start to the season, and he has cooled off dramatically since then. Winless in four of his last five starts. He allowed seven goals against uh, versus Tampa Bay on Tuesday on 38 shots faced. He's allowed 20 goals against in his last five games. And so with Corey Schneider back, the Devils are definitely going to be looking to try and get him back up to game speed and get him some action. And I think with Kincaid cooling off right now, that definitely looks like it's going to revert more back to a timeshare hmm. instead of Keith Kincaid getting the bulk of the starts like he had last year and, and with the start early this year because of the injury concerns to Schneider. If Schneider can return decent numbers, I think that's definitely going to revert more back to a timeshare and could even, if Schneider gets hot, go more in Schneider's favor than Kincaid. So I'm very, very down on Keith Kincaid right now until I see him bounce back and, and give any kind of a solid performance. And then the second stock down guy staying in the division, Shane Gostisbehere from the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, the ghost. Uh, the ghost. He, he is a ghost right now, that's, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, pointless in six of his last seven games. He only has five points uh, on the season right now. Four of them are power play points. When you factor in that he's 96% owned in Yahoo Standard Leagues for him, to only have five points right now this late into the season, coming off a 65-point campaign last year where he had 33 power play points. It's very, very concerning right now. That team as a whole, very concerning right now, but I'm staying far away from Shane Goss' bear. Uh, there are much, much cheaper options in DFS, and there are much more available options right now who are producing better in season-long leagues on defense. So that was Stock Up, Stock Down, brought to you by Three Brewers. Uh, now, James, real quick here. We got some information via DraftKings on the most drafted NHL players so far in this season. And there are a couple surprised you, starting with the Vancouver Canucks, right? Yeah, I was very surprised when I saw the, the Vancouver Canucks and their most drafted players in, in October. Um, their number one drafted player was Bo Horvat. Uh, obviously, Elias Pedersen did miss about four or five games with that concussion, and Brock Besser missed two games with an injury himself. But it was a little surprising to see Horvat be the number one drafted Canucks player in October, and rounding out the top three with him for, for them was Besser and Alexander Edler, who did have a strong start to the season as well. But um, when, when you look at the numbers that Horvat had put up, uh, you know, it's nothing – too special right now, uh, seven goals, four assists. Um, he did have exposure to, to Besser for most of the month, but now Besser is playing with Pedersen. So it was just a little interesting to see him above a player like Besser. And, and for Pedersen, as with the hot start that he had, uh, to not be drafted a, as much. But I think at this point next month, if we see these numbers again, it's going to be a uh, – a stark difference, probably Besser, uh, Pedersen, and maybe somebody like a Nikolay Goldobin, 
who's playing with both of them on the first line right now. Oh, and that means you can still take advantage of some differential points or on the waiver wire, possibly uh, with with a Pedersen. So, great information as always, buddy. We'll do it again next week. Sounds great. All right, James Harding, there he is. Get him on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. He'll answer any and all of your NHL fantasy hockey questions there and find his great fantasy content at NHL.com. That's James Harding. That'll do it for another week. Fastest hour in radio, TSN Hockey Analytics. So for producer Sean Lavery and Steve Eliopoulos, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics right here on TSN 1050.